you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey everybody, it's Monday, February 17th, and here we are with another Ben Jarofsky Beyond the Column. Listen to how excited he is to do this. It's a theme music. Oh, that's the worst theme song (laughs) I've ever heard. We're working on it. This is a weekly podcast where we step inside the writer's mind and learn a little more about the latest column written by Chicago Reader columnist... Ben Jarofsky. Yeah. Right here. Yeah, Ben, how are we feeling today? Feeling pretty good. Just wrote the column. How you feel about the column? I love the column. Have you ever uh, had a column that you spent a lot of time working on and it was deadline and then when it turned it in and you're like, ah, I don't think I like this. Uh, yes, it's called My Life. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, what's postpart- uh, it's postpartum or whatever that thing is, syndrome, you know, when it leaves you, it's like, oh, oh, it's no good. I'm no good. Life sucks. That's not the case with today's, right? No, today's is brilliant. Um, it's wonderful. You're gonna want to run to read it. But many times I've had that feeling, and then uh, you know, then when I read it, when I have that feeling, uh, when I read it in the paper, read it in the paper or online, even I'm like, ah, oh, that's pretty good, right? When you when you've taken time away from it, is that, and then you go back Absolutely. and read it, and then you're like, yeah. oh, this isn't that bad. When you're in the moment, having just uh, finished a column, you, uh, there's a tendency, at least speaking for myself, when I've done any kind of writing just to be so tired of, of the column and what you wrote and having uh, concentrated so much attention and energy on it that when you walk away, you're just sort of tired of it. You know what I'm saying? And that little distance helps you. All so. right. Well, we're going to take a deep dive in uh, this week's column from Ben Jarofsky. There he was diving. And, uh, but before we do that, quick more questions here about the, uh, the process. What do you do for writer's block? There, yeah, I can't afford writer's block. You can't afford writer's no. block. If I had, if I had writer's block, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I would have stopped making a living a long time ago. So, uh, if I have trouble writing a story or a column or whatever, if I'm really struggling, I take a walk, ah, clear the mind. Okay, but, uh, you know, you just no, you got to do it. So a walk, a walk helps. A walk helps, but sometimes I don't even have the chance to take a walk. So you walk around the house yelling at people. That, Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm a genius at work. <laughs> like John Lennon. Ah, it hurts. So, okay, uh, maybe uh, walk us through the, uh, for those who may have writer's block, take a walk. Is that the only advice you have? What advice do you have uh, well, for those who, okay. writers who may have experienced this? All right, writers. I experience it, so I'm listening. But I've never, okay, can I just say this? I've seen you, I've not worked with you for a long time. When you have to write your bits in the morning, you never have writer's block. Why? Because that deadline shakes you and you're not even worried about it. You just, you got to get it done. Yeah, you're right. You know, I've never seen you with writer's block. Now, what people may have is uh, procrastination. 
that's where you don't want to actually do the work of writing because it's like you get these ideas in your head and you you, you know that you see the, the little one-liners come to you or i'm speaking for myself uh, but then it's work to get it on paper it's work uh, to put it together with transitory sentences and to make it have some kind of cohesion. So that's the hard part. And then you have to like uh, smooth out the rough edges and get your references and get your quotes right and get your facts, uh, all the links to the relevant information. So that's kind of like tedious, hard work. So pr- sometimes you're just procrastinating. I don't want to do it. Well, yeah, I know you smooth out the edges in your column, but never smooth out the rough edges in your life because that's why we like you, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, man. All right. Before before we get going, we need to remind everybody that this podcast would not be possible without the Chicago Reader. If you haven't yet, you should check out this week's latest edition. It's free to the public. You can find one all throughout the city, and it's online at chicagoreader.com. You get up-to-date concert and event listings, local performance, reviews, and previews, where to eat, where to shop, and new in 2020. Everything you need to know about legal recreational marijuana. (laughs) And, of course, free-minded, independent journalism from real Chicagoans like Maya Duke-Masova and the feller sitting right next to me, Chicago Reader columnist Benny J. Ben Jarofsky. If it's going on in Chicago, trust me, people, it's in the Chicago Reader. And what the hell? It's free. All right? Go find one and read it as soon as you're done listening to this. And don't forget, chicagoreader.com. Just bookmark it. You will Love it. Now, let's remind everybody, last week, Ben, what was last week's column? Uh, Three-card money. Oh, three-card money. Yeah. (laughs) That was a column about the TIFF program. Three-card money. Yes, indeed. People have been raving about three-card money. People, you can go check that out at chicagoreader.com, and it is now in the archives. All right, Ben, you just finished your latest piece. Uh, Looks like you got notes this time from your article, your column. I just finished it, yes, indeed. So these are the the notes I used to. All right, so last week we had you say the title first. This time we're just going to have you talk about the article, and then when you're done with the article... You're going to tell us the title, and then we're going to judge it. How about that, huh? Except I can't remember what the title oh, is. Oh, great. Glad <laughs> I came over to do this. I think if it... <laughs> all right, well, we'll help you out. We'll help you with titles. Okay. And then we'll all be surprised when uh, it comes out. I mean, I wrote the title, everybody, and the headline, and I said it in, and I just completely forgot it. Oh, I just remembered the title of this one. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget. Excellent. Yeah, don't say it. All right, well, and then, say it. All right, here we go. Right and then here. you can tell us all about it, and then you can tell us the title. And then we can all judge. Ben, tell us about this week's column. All right. So this column is uh, about something that's been on my mind a lot lately. We've talked about it on the show uh, bits and pieces last week. And that has to do with the reaction of centrist Democrats to Michael Bloomberg's uh, entry into the Democratic primary uh, and contrasting that with the attitude of centrists to Bernie Sanders' campaign and um you're feeling the berg right <laughs> i am not feeling the berg although i will say this uh i do enjoy his participation on one level i do enjoy and I, I mentioned this in here uh that the way he seems to really get under donald trump's skin and i don't think anybody gets under trump's skin as much as bloomberg for the obvious reason that bloomberg uh and trump are competing in the same area in new york city and bloomberg made far more money than donald trump and in donald trump's world that really matters a lot so i don't think he'll 
ever get over his rivalry and disdain for Bloomberg. And every time Bloomberg reminds him of that, it just irritates the hell out of Trump. So on that level, I do enjoy uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg's entry in the race. All right. So what I what I do is uh, in the column, I put together all the uh, some of the more obnoxious quotes, to put it mildly, uh, that Bloomberg has uttered down through the years that reveal his uh, attitudes, if you will, his uh, the issues, you might put it, uh, that he has regarding women uh, and uh, black people. Uh, and it's, put it this way, it's an ugly sight. It's one that should be a very upsetting to Democratic voters. It, um, the, some of the things that Bloomberg says are highly offensive uh, and should turn off Democratic voters. And yet here we are in a situation where uh, Democratic voters are welcoming Bloomberg's entry in the race, uh, are gearing up the polls show that his support among centrists is rising. Uh, his support among Democratic voters, I should say, is rising because uh, many of them view him as the best candidate, to, uh, best suited to defeat Donald Trump uh, because he has, as I said many times, billions and billions of dollars and he's willing to spend it uh, on commercials. And that's what he's been doing. And so Democratic voters, all they want to do is beat Donald Trump. They see the commercials. They go, oh, this is what we need to beat Donald Trump around the clock commercials, commercials on TV on the radio and uh, uh, on the Internet. That That's what they'll take to beat Donald Trump. Who cares what his record is? Who cares what his attitude is and all these issues that are supposedly the bedrock principles? Who cares what party? we're left with if we beat Donald Trump? Yeah. Yeah, who cares what kind of presidency he runs? <laughs> All that matters is that we beat Donald Trump, and Michael Bloomberg could do that. Shut, shut up, Bernie supporters. Fall in line and go with uh, Bloomberg. So it's it's like this is like the third column I've written about this, the, this uh, hostility that so many mainstream reporters and writers and columnists uh, and uh, – ordinary centrist Democratic voters have toward Bernie Sanders. I'm fascinated by that in and of itself. But compound that with this new adoration they seem to have, this new appreciation they have for Bloomberg, a billionaire whose comments, programs, worldview would seem to be the exact opposite of what Democrats are supposed to stand for. And I just think, Democrats, you might want to just think about this for a moment. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if, if you're willing to tolerate... Uh, these obscene ideas and comments that come from Michael Bloomberg now before he uh, is the president, what do you think it's going to be like when he is the president and has all the power? So I think Democrats, centrist Democrats, should be very careful about what they are uh, hoping for and wishing for and cheering for. So I have some fun with that. I believe uh, some polls I've heard uh, have Bloomberg at like third. Yeah, the, the most of the composite polls in the last two weeks, again, because of the commercials, nonstop commercials. You know, we, we joke about how I don't uh, watch TV that much. I don't even have cable. But uh, over the weekend, I was watching uh, the, the uh, basketball games, the all-star basketball game, and there were several Bloomberg commercials. <laughs> I got a, on the, and, you know, and this is ironic. There's one that extols uh, his relationship with uh, former President Barack Obama, where Barack Obama saying some nice things about Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> and so you see that. And if you're a Barack Obama fan, you're supposed to say, oh, well, Barack likes him. Well, isn't that crazy? Here it is Joe Biden, Obama's vice president. He's in the race, yeah. Doesn't matter. See, and that's the thing. Uh, Barack Obama needed Bloomberg as much as Bloomberg needed Obama. Uh, Bloomberg was a Republican. Let's keep that in mind, everybody. Bloomberg was a Republican, and Barack Obama's a whole worldview about politics is that he believed in bipartisanship. He believed that there was no red states, there were no blue states. It was just the United States, and so he needed uh, Republicans like Michael Bloomberg to show that he was a bipartisan president. And he would always, but one of the trademarks of Barack Obama, he would. 
like distinguish themselves from the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party, he would say, well, my leftist uh, friends say X, Y, Z. That sounded nothing like Obama. Okay. All right, Mr. I know how to do Obama. Do Obama saying my uh, uh, liberal friends say. Uh, My uh, liberal friends say. Uh, My liberal friends say uh, we got to push harder. And I say stop being so woke. There you Uh, go. That's good. uh, So, you know, so he would always like he would position himself as a friend of people like Obama. He uh, to people like Bloomberg did the same thing with Chris Christie. Remember in 2012? Oh, big feller. Big feller. Yeah. Chris Christie, my new friend. And Chris Christie was playing the same game. He's like, hmm, maybe I can get the Republican nomination uh, one of these days by showing that I am a friend of Obama. Then there was just like a backlash in the Republican. Republican Party and Christian. I'm not really friends with him. Uh, I didn't really mean that. Uh, but anyway, so Obama, so Obama would use Bloomberg, and now Bloomberg's using Obama. And so Democratic voters who never heard of Bloomberg before are like, well, he must be okay. Obama said nice things about him. They're not realizing, of course, that Obama would pretty much say anything about a nice Republican that would have anything remotely to do with them. When, of course, at the time that he was saying these, these nice things about Republicans, they were utterly gutting everything he supposedly stood for, blocking his Supreme Court nominations, so his nominees. So... You know, I, I, I feel that uh, Obama is selling the Democrats in this, like, this false illusion of a bipartisanship that has not existed in your adult lifetime uh, and the adult lifetime of any millennial. Uh, and, but uh, so they're drinking that Kool-Aid and going with uh, Bloomberg. Well, Obama likes it. That was just one commercial. And then there were other commercials like ripping Trump. I love those commercials. You know, he'd be ripping Trump. So I welcome his commercials uh, ripping Trump. You know, and this is part of the dilemma. You know, even I am struggling with this. You know, well, he did rip Trump. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and yet here we have been going talking about Bloomberg for a while and not one policy mention. No, not, uh, there's no not, policies. It's, not, he's got the money to rip Trump. <laughs> nothing really political where he stands. Because we don't know where he stands. You know, it's like Democrats are told things like this is what the, the centrists are telling us. They're saying, I, I know you want health care for all. Shut up. You're not going to get it. I know you want uh, free college, free public education shut up you're not going to get it uh i you know what i'm saying i know you want uh like a a a green new deal so that any uh regulatory impact uh, on the environment that hurts people and causes them to lose their jobs uh gives those people jobs shut up you're not going to get it sounds like something you would say once you've won not when you're running right yeah no (laughs) but that's what the mainstream democrats have been saying to lefties like me for as long as i can remember for your whole entire (laughs) lifetime ever since you were born a little lad in alton illinois that's baby dennis could you just go sit in the other room and not embarrass us while we try to impress our republican friends that's the democrat attitude of how to win all right and they stumbled upon a couple of victories uh bill clinton in 92 and 96 thanks to ross perot's uh president of the race the conclusion they took from those elections is not that oh we were lucky to have ross perot in the race no it was you know here's what ha- good things happen to us when we act like republicans that was the conclusion they took awesome Bar- barack obama won in 2008 largely because the economy was completely and utterly and totally tanking and uh, john mccain was like had put Sarah Palin on the the ticket and looked like a total nutcase. Uh, And the conclusion they took from that is one more time. Well, you see, when we reach out to the Republicans, we win. So now they're taking it to extremes uh, with Donald Trump. I know what we do. Just shut up, lefties. Vote for us. And we'll reach out to all those Trumpsters who uh, voted for uh, Obama in 2012 and flipped to Trump in 2016. 
how they think they're going to get those Trumpsters to vote for them for Mike Bloomberg. Just, I, I don't know. I mean, just think about this. Did we talk about this all the time? I actually don't mention this in the story. I've mentioned this in the past. Michael Bloomberg, when he was mayor of, the New York, of New York City, was a big advocate for denying people the right to buy the biggest cans of pop, of bottles of pop they had. Remember his crusade mm, against sugary Dew. drinks? Yeah, Mountain Dew. He mm. would go, something's wrong with that Dennis kid for oh, drinking Mountain Dew. Mountain don't. <laughs> Mountain don't. Yeah, Mountain don't. And Coke don't, too. How's that going to win over Trump voters? I thought they were against government intrusion into our lives. So, you know, I mean, saw, you saw what they, Big Soda did to Tony Preckwinkle in, uh, uh, in what was it, uh, 2018, when she tried to have a soda tax here in Chicago. I don't think she's still recovered from it. No. You know, so. She's got a little nickname out of that, didn't she? Yeah, what did Ricky Hennon call her? Queen Sugar? <laughs> Ricky, come on. Was it Ricky who said that? I apologize, Ricky. I don't know if that was you. May have been May. I don't know who called you. Oh, Maze Jackson. Maze Jackson called her. Yeah, her. a lot of WV, uh, WVON really uh, got that going, I Maze think. Maze Jackson. Maze so that's kind of what your column centers around, huh? My column centers around, okay, so what I do is I say, all right, uh, de- uh, centrist Democrats, this is the man you're advocating that we vote for uh, for uh, president. This is the man you think uh, could beat Donald Trump. Uh, this is a strategy that you've adopted that uh, you rally behind the uh, gazillionaire who can self-finance his campaign and just uh, air commercials around the clock. Well, let's look at what you're looking at the other way uh, at. What are you burying your head at? And then there's just been a series of quotations that have been dug up on earth by investigative reporters. Some of them have been on the books for a while having to do with Donald Trump's attitude towards uh, women, really a hostile uh, and mean-spirited attitude toward women uh, and uh, his uh, attitude uh, to young black men. Uh, you know, he was the um, creator, or the uh, supporter of the stop and frisk policies of the New York Police Department in the early part of the century. Uh, they would sweep up and mass arrest black people just for being, guess what, D? Black people. Well, you get them off the street and arrest them, uh, they won't commit crimes. What if they weren't going to commit crimes? Uh, shut up, Ben. You're a new good liberal. Shut up and vote for us. So. Boy, I'm telling you, you're just warming me up to this Bloomberg guy. You know what? <laughs> you know, but he's not Trump. All right, don't forget that. Bloomberg is far superior to Trump on uh, environmental issues and regulatory issues that we need uh, to clean up the environment. He's far superior to Trump. Uh, And Donald Trump has been uh, horrific on the environment. Oh, my God, we have uh, Nicole Cantella from the EPA and Lorraine coming into the studio all the way. Targo's from the EPA, EPA employees, talking about all the the regulatory cuts and the firing of staffers and the punishing of staffers who dare to speak out on what Donald Trump is doing and the loosening controls so that we can have more uh, pollutants emitted into the air and more garbage dumped into the uh, Lake Michigan and the the Great Lakes, et cetera, and so forth. So Donald Trump has been uh, horrific to the environment. So uh, it's to me, it's a matter. I know that uh, Obama was better. So even a, a milk toast Obama would be better than Donald Trump. And then, of course, there's uh, judicial nominees. So yes, I think that Michael Bloomberg would be a better president than Donald John Trump. But I do not believe he'd be a better president than one Bernie Sanders. I mean, right now we're not, it's not Trump or Bloomberg right now. You mm-hmm. have other choices. Yeah, yeah. Even centrists have other choices. You got Amy Klobuchar. She's still running. And if you're a centrist, I'm talking about, you got Joey Biden. You want to vote centrist? You got him. You got your favorite favorite candidate, Mayor Pete. How'd you know? <laughs> just kidding. Oh, that was going to be my reveal on Tuesday's show. I love so, Mayor Pete these days. So just the notion that you just take Michael Bloomberg because he's got billions of dollars, which many Democrats are just doing. Well, he must be electable because it's billions of dollars. So he's going to end up spending billions of dollars. And 
I don't know if he's electable. All right. Well, I'm going to just keep on riffing here. I got one more thing I want to bring up. Can you compare, from what you know of Bloomberg, uh, to Rom, Mayor Rom? Oh, Mayor. my God. That's another column that I will write eventually. I'm going to condense this because I'm going to take a deeper dive in this later. This is something I kept out of this week's column. Okay. Because you just well, only give so him a little space. tease for next week's column. I don't know if it's next week, but it'll be down the road. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Bloomberg is essentially a Rom before Rom. In my humble opinion, Rahm Emanuel studied Michael Bloomberg and used him as sort of the role, uh, his role model when he became a mayor of the city of Chicago. The problem for Rahm is that Rahm was embracing Bloombergian, uh, a Bloombergian <laughs> worldview after people were starting to turn against it. Do you use Bloombergian in your column? No, but I will use that when I do right, the Rahm good, column. Good. Okay. You know, I'm giving all my stuff away. Next thing you know, I'm going to be reading other people go, Bloombergian. I'm going, wait a minute. They stole that from what? Going back to Bloomberg, so compare Bloomberg to Rahm, Bloomberg's worldview is the one that Rahm embraced when he became mayor. So what does that mean? That means uh, regressive, not progressive taxes. That means uh, uh, assisting government uh, uh, companies who move to your city with uh, handouts from the property taxpayers on the grounds that that's how you build the business community and eventually the good stuff will trickle down to the community. On education, it means uh, replacing public schools with private, uh, publicly funded charters. Uh, that means directly confronting the teachers union as though the teachers union is responsible for all the ills of education, for all the uh, inequities in education. Uh, stop and frisk on the part of the police department. Uh, and, um, you know, in, in just in general, like making this sort of a cult of the mayor. And so the mayor is this all-powerful, uh, all-wise being who runs the city with great compassion for the little people uh, and is responsible for absolutely everything good that happens in Chicago. That's kind of... Oh, and then, I mean, Mayor Rahm makes Chicago a world-class city. Remember, he was going to bring uh, the NATO summit here. That was very early on. He was going to bring the NATO summit to Chicago. That's a very Bloombergian attitude. Like, of course, New York has the advantage that people do view it as a world-class city. So Ron was trying to replicate that. Uh, the people that he would usher in to meet with him, McDunk and I wrote many stories about this, uh, were powerful and wealthy people in the business and financial worlds. Uh, again, trying to show that this is how you run a city. You make friends with wealthy people who then will deign to come to your city, maybe move a business here, provided they get a tax break, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, wouldn't want to do anything just because I'm going to make money. Got to have that money up front. Uh, so, you know, in many ways, Rom emulated. And that disdainful attitude toward anybody that disagreed with him. I think Rom has that worse than Bloomberg, actually. Um, but I'm, I think Rom studied Bloomberg. Uh, the big difference, of course, is that Rom is not as fabulously wealthy as Michael Bloomberg is. Uh, and so he cannot self-finance his, his campaign. All right. Now I got this uh, article open on my phone, listeners. And I'm going to hand my phone over to Ben. And Ben, you read the headline and then you tell me what you think. I'm sure you've seen this already, but I just want to make sure. Oh, my God. I just pushed the wrong button. But it's, Bloomberg is considering Hillary Clinton as his running mate, says Matt Drudge. Well, first of all, I don't know if I believe anything that Matt Drudge has to say, particularly about Bloomberg and Hillary Clinton. But I did see that. That was uh, that kicked around the uh, Internet universe this weekend. I just shook my head. I mean, that... That is a ticket that's destined to fail. I, that's a ticket that says uh, Michael Bloomberg and the Democratic Party have learned nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. And they're committed to making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, but that's the, that's the dilemma we're at now with the Democratic Party, D. You've got people like me and you and all Miles who come in and so many uh, uh, 
Maggie Wonderly, Jeanette Taylor. I can think of all the Bernie supporters and the leftists, uh, Elizabeth Warren supporters uh, like Brandon Johnson, you know, come in and say that the Democratic Party, in order to win, has to rally its base and, and commit itself to the ideal, idealistic programs and values that would get the base to want to vote because they see that the party meant a change in the Republicans. And then there's the Bloombergian, the Clintonian, the Romian view, which is that the closer the Democrats are, are to behaving like Republicans, uh, the more likely they are to win because they'll siphon off just enough voters uh, to uh, from the uh, just enough independents and Republicans uh, to compensate for all the Democratic, the real Democrats who don't vote because they're so disillusioned. Right? Isn't that sort of the Rom theory of how you uh, win an election? Yeah. That's a, and he learned it from Billy Clinton. And now you hear Jim Carville, James Carville, saying the same thing. They say denounce Bernie. Well, let's hear your James Carville impression. I don't have one. That's a. He's got a cool voice. Let me, uh, I mean, it's just like Southern, right? Don't do it. Well, you know, Hillary. She's you know Hillary. She's Hillary, and I you know, she's Hillary, and I think she's great. Do now do, do him ripping uh, Bernie. Let Bernie mother. Beep. I tell you, free yeah. this, free that. Comb your hair. You communist. Uh, what do you say to someone mm-hmm. who, I don't know, has like, you know, liberal progressive views and uh, feels like, I, I guess I'm talking about me. Uh, they don't want to like sell out basically for Bloomberg. You know, if Bloomberg becomes the candidate, what do you say to someone who may not vote in the election for Bloomberg? Well, who, someone who may not vote Bloom no matter whom, yeah. as we say on the show. Uh, I, first of all, would urge you to talk to one Terry TC put on your big boy pants uh, Cosgrove I'm oh, sure yeah. he'll fill your head with a lot of that that's generally uh, Terry's role in the show Pete PC uh, Cunningham that's his role on the show Marge Halpern that's her role we have plenty of centrist Democrats come on our show ladies and gentlemen and preach that to the choir uh, what I would urge them is to uh, um, to tell the Bloombergs of the world, uh, if you want to be the uh, leader of the Democratic Party, you have to show people that you care about the values and the ideals and the ideals of the Democratic Party. So, uh, in my in in today's column, I take a view, uh, a look back at some of Bloomberg's quotes, like his controversial quotes about women, his controversial quotes about black people, and you know, it's incumbent upon him not just to hide behind his commercials, but to deal with this, yeah, and to tell people, try to assure them that he's not the freaking. Cr- that he comes off as I could have used a different word, but you know I'm cleaning things up because you always tell me to it. clean things up. I appreciate it. And and to explain to people, you know, maybe he uh, he said some stupid things that he didn't agree with. You know, it was the ninety? I don't know. Whatever his defense is, well, whatever his defense. Well, let's go to those quotes. You uh, you have them right there with you. Let's uh, right. read some Bloomberg quotes. So here. Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg. So shouldn't he be like okay? Just go ahead and read the. Well, I'm going to explain something. Just a little bit of background. Uh, we'll probably be doing this on the show a lot. In the next few weeks, uh, Michael Bloomberg, before he's mayor of New York City, was the all-powerful leader of his own company. And this is something I've learned about all-powerful leaders. The, the power goes to their head. And they think that they're, they must be smart and they must be gifted because they're in charge of the company. Otherwise, why would they be in charge of the company? He's right? smart, you're not. Yeah, I'm, yeah exactly. <laughs> Trump's got a lot of that in him. Rom's got a lot of that in him. Hillary's got a lot of that what in him. What was her. Bernie Sanders doing before Bloomberg was mayor? 
Bernie Sanders was doing the exact same thing he's doing now. He was extolling the need to have national health care. <clears throat> he was fighting for college education for all. He was standing up to unwarranted roundups, stop and frisk programs. He was standing up for the marginalized, okay? And then the, this really kills me when I speak to my centrist friends about Bernie. He never got anything done. Yeah, because you were blocking him every step of the way. <laughs> You and Clinton <laughs> and Rahm guys are blocking him, fighting him. His own party, his own compatriots were resisting him every step of the way. And then you go, oh, he never got anything done. I actually addressed this in a past column. I think I'm going to have to address this again. Because no matter how much time you point out the obvious that he didn't, quote unquote, get anything done. Because what he was trying to get done was being imposed, not just by the Republicans, but by the Democrats, then you go, well, how can you vote for him? It's because the things he wanted to get done are things that you as Democrats should want to do, right? God damn, don't get me started. So what do I say if Bloomberg is the nominee uh, to people like you who are really find it offensive to vote for someone like Michael Bloomberg? Just to sell out everything, uh, you know. I would say look at the state you're in. I mean, we have to see what the world looks like you know maybe bloomberg will have really appealed maybe bloomberg will come on our show and look oh yeah that'd be great dr doobie i just want to say something to you that's my bloomberg imitation (laughs) okay terrible imitation all right i love doobies and doctors (laughs) i think you and me will get along just fine i am embarrassed by the things i have said in the past i'm embarrassed by the deeds i pushed uh i'm embarrassed by the point of view i had when i was an all-powerful leader of a company and everybody was always sucking up to me and telling me how great i was so i actually came to believe i was great and i could say stupid things that were misogynistic i'm embarrassed by that d will you forgive me what are the chances he's going to say all that nothing not zero <laughs> yeah zero okay none of that all right you know but i that's what i would do if i were a total jerk and i recognized that i was a total jerk I would want to, you know, I would want to own up to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like today, for instance, I'm going to give this out. When Dennis came over to my house, he was ringing the doorbell. I was taking a shower. I didn't hear him, right? Dude, Remember I almost this? left. I was waiting like 10 minutes. He was mad. I, steam was coming out of his ears. I called him like up. Yosemite Sam. <laughs> I said, man, I'm sorry. I really apologize. I was in the shower. I didn't hear you. You know, I apologize. If I were Bluebird, I'd go on. Beep you! Get over there! Well, if you were Bloomberg, one of your maids would have let me in. That's or, true. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it. Your, now, that's your, it. That's your butler would have let me in. Oh, hello, butler. Hello. Hello, mate. Would you like an avocado and cheese sandwich? I don't know why I get my butler uh, like a cockney accent. I'm not quite sure why. Anyway, so Bloomberg was the head of uh, a company name called Bloomberg Company or whatever it was called. Uh, and in 1990, on the... the uh, in, in the eve of his 48th birthday, some employee, some suck-up employee, put together a booklet. I'm not making any, any of this up. This is in my story. This has been reported called The Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. All right? And this, uh, this booklet is filled with all sorts of quotations. I'm now going to read the introduction to the editor's note to this little booklet. Get ready, Democratic voters. You're going to be jumping on board after these. All right. This is the introduction to the booklet. Quote, yes, these are actual quotes. No, nothing has been embellished or exaggerated. And yes, some things were too outrageous to include. When I joined Bloomberg Financial Markets, I wondered if I had inadvertently joined a religious sect. Such was the dedication of the employees to its founder and their enthusiasm for the company. Today, I'm a convert, and when we rent Madison Square Garden for mass nuptials, I'll be there. 
The contributors and I hope this collection reflects the myriad of favorite Mike Word aspects of Michael Bloomberg. Okay? This is the opening to this book, Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg, that the employees gave to Michael Bloomberg as a sign of their appreciation for his leadership and making Bloomberg one of the big, wealthy companies that it is. Growing, a, It was a company that made computer terminals uh, that was used for the news gathering business. This is their appreciation to him. All right. Now, I just want you to know, folks, uh, now that he's running for president, uh, his spokesperson, what a job that is to be Michael Bloomberg's spokesperson. I mean, I'm sure it pays well. <laughs> it does pay well. But he has a, he didn't say it. He didn't mean it. Stop quoting it. That's essentially what he's saying. He's cool. I like him. I All saw right. him on a skateboard yesterday. So here's some of the quotes. This is just a few of them. Uh, on salesmanship, Michael Bloomberg, quote, wait, he swears. Am I allowed to swear? Bloomberg swears? What's your, is this going to go on the radio? No, we won't put this all on right. lump. So I am. Dennis is giving me. Uh, you, you can swear. All right, because this is Bloomberg. He says it. All right. Quote. I'm blaming Bloomberg for on this. salesmanship. Quote. Make the customer think he's getting laid when he's getting fucked. Okay. There okay. you go. All right, boy. There, all right, there you go. What? Uh, here we go. A good salesman asks for the order. It's like the guy who goes into a bar and walks up to every gorgeous girl there and says, "Quote. Do you want to fuck?" He gets turned out a lot. But he gets fucked a lot, too. Oh, vote blue no matter who, okay. guys. That's, that's Michael Bloomberg. And by definition, a salesperson thinks tomorrow's always going to be better. It's the only way they can take the continuing rejection, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and then, you want more quotes? Sure, sure. All right, sure. Hold on. Let me get it. I have a different notes here. Hold Wait, on. Today's, uh, this, uh, this edition of the Beyond the Column, rated R. Uh, yes, this is not, hey man, Dems, this is your guy, don't blame me. Hold on, here we go, I gotta find these quotes. This is the guy Ben's telling you to vote for. Okay, that is not true. Uh, here we go. If women wanted to be appreciated for their brains, they'd go to the library instead of to Bloomingdale's. Mm. End of quote. Bloomingdale's is a department store for folks who don't know. Okay. Uh, and, uh, here we go, we'll close with this one. Tell me how this differs from something that Donald John Trump Uh, has either said or would say, quote, I know for a fact that any self-respecting woman who walks past a construction site and doesn't get a whistle will turn around and walk past again and again until she does get one. So in other words, women uh, want to be wolf whistled at as they walk down the street. Okay. Now, I don't know how a self-respecting Democrat (laughs) can vote for somebody like that uh, unless the choice is Donald John Trump. I don't know how you could vote for Michael Bloomberg with this background uh, in, in, when you have the alternative, the opportunity to vote for it. I'll just name some. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg. Yes, I put Mayor Pete on that list. Uh, who else is still in the race? Am I forgetting anybody that's still in the, the race? But so I don't know how a self-respecting Democrat uh, could vote for uh, Bloomberg over those other alternatives. Unless he owns up to this and talks about it. Uh, I guess my argument is that since you already cursed, we're just like a week away from another pussy. Well, that will be the argument uh, that Trump will use. See, here's the other thing that I address briefly in the column, and I'll probably get into more as the campaign moves into uh, Illinois. Because we'll be talking about these things repeatedly when the Dems, you know, like mid-March, when the Dems are actually campaigning or coming through Illinois, because Illinois primary is March 17th. Uh, Centrist Dems are always telling me, Ben, where do you see the Trump commercials 
hitting hard at Bernie Sanders. Wait till you see what Trump comes up with when it comes to hitting Bernie with commercials. Okay, I just read to you some of the, the wit and wisdom of Michael Bloomberg from a pamphlet that yeah. his employee gave him, all right? Imagine the commercials Trump can make out of that. And by the way, I'm not even getting into some of the more outrageous uh, comments uh, uh, allegedly made by Bloomberg, which he denies making, uh, having to do with abortion, having to do with women who've uh, sued his company for claiming sexual harassment. So there's a... a a boatload of material that Donald Trump can use in commercials against Michael Bloomberg. And I think if Mike, Michael Bloomberg is the Democrats' presidential candidate, then it will completely, or to a degree, uh, just lose whatever moral advantage the Democrats would have running someone against Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a male chauvinist pig. He's been a disgusting human being when it comes to women his whole life. He got elected anyway with a majority, I believe, of the vote of white women in uh, 2016 over Hillary Clinton. So I think whatever moral advantage the Democrats would have uh, over Donald Trump in this area would be lost if they nominate Michael Bloomberg and he doesn't confront these yeah. comments from this past but instead he has his spokesperson going out and saying things like oh well he never really said it uh you know that book has nothing to do with him when in fact i read you the introduction in the book you know what i'm saying so uh no one's buying will be buying what bloomberg is saying and i know d i know what swing voters are going to say you know what uh, you know, why should I believe anything the Democrats say in regards to how horrified they are about Donald Trump when they're nominating a guy like this? So it's a tough argument. It is a tough sell to make uh, if Michael Bloomberg is the nominee and I have to deal with someone like you asking me questions. Why should I vote for him? Well, I mean, uh, you know, it's just very interesting uh, with this Bloomberg feller coming around, you know, because I kind of feel like he's very much like Donald Trump. And it's like. Ugh, I know. Okay, we'll we'll bring it back to the Illinois gubernatorial race. It takes a billionaire to beat a billionaire, right? But uh, there's uh, that's another column I'm going to write one uh, really soon. The difference between Bloomberg and Pritzker. We'll be talking about that. Let's tease a little more the the similarities between Rom and Bloomberg and the differences between uh, Bloomberg and Pritzker. They have uh, there's some significant differences between the two. All right, so that's enough I talk on uh, this week's column here. Guys, check it out when it becomes available at chicagoreader.com or when the reader drops this week. All right, so we've yet to uh, learn the title of this. Now that everybody knows what that article was about, Ben... What is the title? The Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg. Oh, okay. I like it. I like that. That's good. Very good. I smoked a doobie and I came up with that You one. You don't smoke weed. <laughs> You can't claim to smoke weed when you don't smoke Can weed. Can I please? I want to be one of the cool guys. But anyway. Hey, that dog out there looks a little like my old dog. Hey, who let the dogs out? Ruff, <laughs> ruff. Oh, you know that song. Oh, who let the dogs out? Woo, woo. All right. Hey, Ben knows a song after 1979. Guys, we are breaking ground here on this episode of Beyond the Column. Every now and then one pierces, you know, the armor plate that I have protecting my brain from such things. All right, everybody. So make sure you go check that out at chicagoreader.com or the Chicago Reader, uh, you know, the actual thing, the paper. When it comes out on newsstands, go get it. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Ben Jarofsky column past. Ooh, jeez. Oh my God. Last week I shocked Ben. He didn't even he couldn't even remember the article. Uh, we did one sure. for I won't remember this one either. The last one we did was 2008. So I went and found a column 
all the way back from 1995. Whoa, dude. Come on. That's not fair. 1995. Oh, my God. My kids were very young. It was February 23rd, wow. 1995 is uh, when wow. this, the column I pulled in. Any idea what you talked about? February 23rd, 1995? Negatory. Oh. Let's just do the math really quickly. That was 25 years ago. Well, uh, before we get into that, let's uh, do a recap of what was going on February 23rd, 1995. The number one movie, February 23rd, 1995. Ben, you got an idea? Uh, no, I have no idea. The Brady Bunch movie. Brady Bunch movie was released in the United States on February 17th, 1995 and grossed $46.6 million. A very Brady sequel. That was the uh, the second one. That was actually really good. I liked a very Brady sequel. Got, You're really into sequels, man. Got, had Rob Lowe in it. He like ate mushrooms on accident. Right. It's actually a pretty good one, so check that out. All right, the number one music single, TLC, Creep. Uh, is that by the group that goes, don't go chasing what Yeah. Oh, my God. Two whoa, for two. Whoa, whoa. I don't know. Creep. Oh, no. Creep's what we play for the Creep Report, right? Whoa, before yeah. copyright law yeah. came around. <laughs> Joanna. Shout out to Joanna. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. TLC Creep, number one single, February 23rd, 1995. The number one album of February 23rd, 1995. Downstaters. Oh, hang tight <laughs> to the wheel. Garth Brooks. The Hits. Oh, I love that album. You're lying. My, here's my favorite Garth Brooks song. You got no window, window, no info, info. Country music fans, I'm with you, all right? Don't worry. Thunder Rolls, it's a great fucking song. Uh, what do we got here, too? Uh, Wait, I'll, did you just swear? I'm going to edit that out. No, he said it. <laughs> to edit that swore. <laughs> Radio school alert. Uh, I got friends in low places. Uh, oh. That's a great song. Uh, rodeo is rodeo. a fantastic song. Love rodeo. These are all on the hits. Yeah, Tell, sing a little bit of rodeo. Rodeo, ding 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 ding. It's a rodeo. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> I love the horses. Ding ding. <laughs> and the cows. Not how it goes. No. <laughs> all right, uh, the number one show is going on February twenty third, nineteen ninety five. Er. Mm, er with George Clooney. Yeah, Er with George. Never Clooney. saw it once. Friends. That was hot in 1995. Confession to make. What? Confession time. If you had that music, you'd play it. Never liked Friends. I've seen it once. I like the one guy. He's kind of funny. Oh, the one guy who's kind of funny. You're talking yeah. about Chandler. Yeah. How'd you know that? Because he's the one guy who's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> so, like, we'd see it sometimes at the bowling alley and the sound would be off and Chandler, we'd, he just cracks me up. Well, I got a confession to make. What? I like it. I know you're a huge fan. <laughs> well, it's just good writing. Like, I don't know. It's pretty funny. All right. And let's see here. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, and obviously, uh, the big thing that was on TV, 1995, February, uh, more than likely the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh my God! I um, God, I was wow, bringing back memories, man. OJ, <laughs> people lost their mind over OJ. All right, now to the column written February twenty third, nineteen ninety five, in the Chicago Reader from Ben Jarofsky. You can read this as well at chicagoreader.com. It's very cool that they do this. Chicago Reader, fantastic website. Not only can you find out what concerts are coming this week and months ahead, you can also pull up this article from nineteen ninety five. God, I was writing it. Here we go. You got any ideas? No. 95 would have been a uh, election year. And so we're around election season. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's an election-related article. You got it. The 95 municipal election. All right. Here we go. The title is called Too Sane for This Ward? Running in the Wild 35th. Oh, my 
my God, yes, Phil McCollum <laughs> running for uh, for alderman. It was an open seat. Uh, the automatic election. I remember this article. All right, Benjarowski writes. The Maya Stoll, S-T-O-L-L, was a candidate in this one, right? The wonderful thing about the race for Alderman in the 35th Ward is that it's wide open and free. The Logan Square-based ward is a newly formed creation of redistricting. It has no incumbent, no committeeman, and no entrenched political organization. Boy, that's changed since now, huh? Oh, yeah. That's, well, yeah. <laughs> hey, what's happening, uh, Alderman uh, Ramirez Rosa? 35th Ward. Carlos. That's why I picked it. All right. It says here, um, once again, February 1995, there are 10 candidates in wow. the 35th, including a cop, a clerk, a school teacher, and a merchant. There's a candidate who thinks gun control laws increase crime, a candidate who compares himself to Martin Luther King, and a candidate whose campaign manager thinks George Washington freed the slaves. And oh, yes, Marja Stoll, the candidate endorsed by the Chicago Tribune, the Chicago Sun-Times, Impact, the IVI IPO might not win because get this, she's of the quote wrong ethnic persuasion. Yes, that's a quote, right? Mm -hmm. I remember this article. Uh, I liked uh, Maya Stoll. If I were in the race, I mean, if I lived in the ward, I definitely would have voted for her. Uh, but she lost that election to uh, Vilma Colon, who was Richard Mel's candidate, uh, right? Well, you don't know that because. This was before the election. This, is this the article where Stoll uh, talks about what Richard Mel, uh, how he treated her? I don't know if it's... Well, I'll go ahead and keep reading here. Keep it reading. says here, uh, let's see, the 35th runs roughly from Bloomingdale on the south to Belmont on the north and from Francisco on the east to Central Park on the west. Four years ago, this area was split between Alderman Richard Mel's 33rd Ward and Alderman Michael Wojcik. Wojcik's 35th Ward. But under redistricting, the 33rd was moved north. Wojcik might have remained to run for the uh, re-election, but he decided to follow many of his constituents who had been moved to the 30th Ward. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason they created the ward was because of the lawsuit seeking more black and Hispanic wards, says Kevin Lamb. Yes, our good friend Kevin Lamb. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was uh, with the Independents back in those days. Well, what was Kevin Lamb up to in 1995? Well, he was, in 1995, was he working for Miguel Del Valle? I don't know. I can't, who, I can't remember. 1995, at one point he ran for state rep. Was that 95? Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think in 96. He was very much a political activist back in the 90s. Okay. And it says here, and there, uh, and there lies the problem for Stoll. Although she speaks Spanish, she's not Hispanic. Her family immigrated from Indonesia to Holland and then Los Angeles, where she was raised. She moved to Chicago in the 1970s to attend the University of Illinois here. Stoll and her husband operate Design Slash Americom, a Bucktown printing business. She's been active as a volunteer in community groups and several political campaigns, including Harold Washington's 1983 and 1987 mayoral candidacies. But she didn't realize what she was up against until she met with Roberto Maldonado, the area's Cook County Commissioner. There so you go. See. He's still involved in politics. And she's, uh, he's an alderman right now, Maldonado is, in the 27th Ward. Yeah, no, this was a, a fun uh, article to write. I remember a friend column to write. Wow, you went back into the archives for that one, D. But at least in this case, I remember the story. All right? Like, remember last week? I didn't remember writing that story. Yeah, I guess that's one that uh, you uh, maybe you weren't a big fan of when you wrote it. Maybe. No, I was a fan of it when I back and read it. But, you know, you write 
a lot of stories. This one, it just, this one, it just is a resounding memory because I spent so much time uh, driving through the ward and I would go to the campaign offices to the different candidates and just it was a fun story to do. Uh, the wild, wacky adventures of Chicago aldermanic elections. I did a, I've done a lot of stories. Dee makes fun of me all the time because I know the aldermen of every ward. But the reason I have I've built up such a knowledge is I've been writing about these ward races since the 80s. And uh, so it's fun to do. It's fun to take the deep dive. And the last uh, paragraph I have here, one of the few things most of the other candidates agree on is that they don't want to see uh, Cologne elected. Quote, I'll never go with someone like Vilma Cologne because she's Richard Mel's puppet. That's Iris Martinez, another candidate. I don't want Mel to be the dominant figure in this ward. Yeah, well, they forgot all about that once uh, Vilma was victorious uh, and uh, Mel remained a powerhouse uh, in that area for many, for another like, 20 years until uh, he was defeated. Uh, for uh, Well, he stepped down as alderman and handed it off to Deb Mel. Deb Mel has since been defeated. And uh, Rosanna Rodriguez is now the alder woman of the uh, 33rd Ward. Uh, and Mel was defeated as committeeman. So there you go, Mel. Right. They talked a big game back in 20, uh, 1995, but it took another 20 years before Mel was actually uh, out of politics. So that was 1995. Let's fast forward to 2020, the 35th Ward. What's it like now? Well, the 35th Ward has changed. There's been a... a Award reapportionment has happened twice since then, twice since 1995. So the 35th Ward is now more centered in Logan Square than it was back then. Uh, it's relatively upscale, rapidly gentrifying ward. Uh, back then, it was heavily Hispanic. Remember, they changed the boundaries in order to accommodate the Hispanic population. Uh, Carlos Murs Rosa uh, is the alderman, Puerto Rican uh, ancestry, but uh, you know the ward is rapidly becoming more and more upscale, whiter. It's happening throughout uh, the northwest side of Chicago. So, you know, the demographic changes, uh, you can see them just walking down Milwaukee Avenue near Fullerton. You just hipsters. It's just a totally different scene to walk down that area in 2020 than it was in 1995. All right. So there it is, everybody. That's our uh, Beyond the Column for this week. Go check out that column from 1995 if you want to read more about that. Very interesting. So go check out that old column. Go check out, when it comes out, the new column titled... The Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg. The Wit and Wisdom of Michael Bloomberg. Go check that out whenever it becomes available at chicagoreader.com. And newsstands everywhere. It's free, everybody. chicagoreader.com. And uh, always check that out, too, for uh, anything that's going on in Chicago. You'll find it in the Chicago Reader. All right, we're out of here. My name is Dennis, and Ben and I are going to go watch the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> Take care, everybody.